Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck, the Lower Decks edition. I am Michael Flores, and in the studio with me today is Ensign David of the Nova Squad. Hello, David. Hello, everybody. All right, so today we're here to talk about the penultimate episode of Lower Decks' fourth season, titled The Inner Fight. Captain Freeman assigns the Lower Deckers an overly safe mission to try and keep a self-destructive Mariner out of danger. The episode was written by Ben Waller and directed by Brandon Williams. Yeah, some of those bad habits of Mariner are coming back for some strange reason. Yeah. So right towards the end of the season, they are fleshing out a new type of problem that Mariner is having apparently from the midst of her self sabotage. There is now reasons behind that other than her inability to grow up. We had assumed it was more about immaturity and the fact that she wanted to just have fun. She wanted to have excitement in her life and she didn't really like authority, but If we are to believe this episode, it seems pretty clear. It's more about the fact that she joined Starfleet to be an explorer. To be kind of like, I hate to say it, what every, every Star Trek fan feels they would always do if they joined Starfleet. They want to go out and, you know, visit strange new worlds and meet new life forms and all that. The the, the, the entire Roddenberry. Archer syndrome. Archer syndrome. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much. Archer and Tucker syndrome. And if you think about it, I mean, yes, that makes a little sense compared to the fact that every Star Trek character seems to have that little bit of Roddenberryism inside of them. Well, that's the Charter's main mission, right? To seek out new life and new civilizations. So that would make sense. But it just seems a little weird that we would suddenly have a Mariner that's facing a bit of an existential crisis that's connected to this issue that she has with Starfleet and I say issue with a question mark because it's never that's never really been a thing that she's had a problem with Starfleet and even in this episode it was a little wishy-washy it was a little blurred those lines because she had said that she just wants to explore but Starfleet keeps being pulled into these these situations And we heard about this problem she now has as she's dealing with pertaining to uh, Insensito, a character that was pulled from Next Generation. She was part of a group called Nova Squad, which we'll get into a little bit later. And that's also connected to the big bad of the season. So they seem to be starting something new with Mariner that either you can argue has always been there 
or B, they simply pulled it out of their ass because they weren't sure what to do with Mariner anymore. That's the tough part about this episode. If it really does border on, did they really just pull this out of their ass or is this something that is connected to Mariner? Because like I've seen people actually say that, well, Mariner has always been that broken person. We know that she has a lot of issues since season one where it's like, at first we thought it's the issues with her, her, her mom being Captain Freeman. You could say all those problems are, are were relevant. I don't yeah. think they were just throwaways. And that's the thing is kind of like every season. It's almost kind of like there's a new hitch to Mariner that we end up finding out, which is okay. Especially yeah. if they give us good, uh, good buildup to that, to that moment where we go, Oh, here's another dive into Mariner's psyche. And we find out, Oh, here's another crack in her, in her character. Well, because it's kind yeah. of like, it's kind of like last season. Last season was Mariner's issues were the fact that she didn't like the fact that her world was changing and she had a problem with change because like she needed Boimler back. She needed her friends back. Yeah. David. And listen, all of that, if we were to take from seasons one through even the first half of season four, and we were to throw into the Mariner has issue problems box yeah. <laughs> okay, and we shake it up, all those problems pretty much make sense with everything we've seen of Mariner. There's no problems with that whatsoever. But this new thing that feels like they shoehorned in at the last minute so they can bring some relevance to the end of the season when it comes to their key characters it feels weird. It doesn't feel like it belongs in that box. The issue she now has mm -hmm. with just wanting to be ex an explorer. Not only does it not fit in that box, the Mariner has problems box. It also goes against her character in a lot of ways because she is definitely shoot from the hip type of, she's a, she's a shoot from the hip type of person. Shoot first, ask questions later. She's very self-destructive and she seems to enjoy violence. Yeah. So suddenly when we hear that she just wants to be an explorer and they're posing those, those philosophical questions and those existential questions uh, to Starfleet and bringing it under this Mariner has problems. I don't, I don't see that fitting. That's the thing is like, I, uh, when in this episode, when they bring up that fact, when she has that discussion with the Klingon in the, in the tree and everything during the storm, I was like going, why couldn't we have something like this in the very beginning? You know, something just to harken back. Okay. Set the table, so to speak. So you're or, saying if they had introduced it earlier, if then they maybe introduced it earlier because it, it, it would make sense if we look at it as, okay, let's little build, build up because when you throw it into the fact that that one episode on Frenginar, yeah. When it was obvious that was the whole story of Mariner that she was having issues of some kind. Right. Of, of growing up and maturing. And she had something. If they actually put something in the very beginning of the season to kind of table, here's, here, here's our start point for Mariner. It probably would have been received much more better. So you think that if they would have introduced it earlier even though it feels a little contradictory to her characterization, you think if they had the whole season to work on it, they could have seamlessly tied it in meshed those two aspects to, or I should say the aspects that married Mariner does in fact Mariner have problems has. with 
and this new thing mesh it together more seamlessly, then would it would have gone over better? Is that yeah? What because like if you think about it, ever since the first season, we've always been told Mariner is this very broken person in in actuality. Yeah, we're in a cartoon and we're in an animation. It's a comedy, but these characters do have substance behind them, and they're also relevant and to Star relevant. Trek canon. And like, and like if. We're going to go with the adage that basically Mariner is more than just one pet of trauma is going to break her. It's a bunch of stuff that's happened to her in her past. That's made her into this person that we see in season one. Okay. All right. But at least establish in the beginning of the season. Okay. What is the history or the trauma of Mariner this season? You know, what, what is it that basically makes, makes her personality now? See, and I get all that, David, and you're not wrong, but there are a thousand other directions they could have gone with this character and it would have made more sense and it would not have contradicted what we know of her, her character, character yeah. up to this point. Mm -hmm. This whole thing now that she's having, this existential crisis and this, this conflict, this inner conflict between exploration and Starfleet's militaristic endeavors, or I think of, I don't want to say endeavors, but their militaristic trappings, if you will. Yeah. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Even if they would have started it earlier, I would have shrugged and say, okay, well, the season was written good, was written well, mm -hmm. but I would still question where did this come from? Because it goes against Mariner. Mariner is violent. Yeah. She's rebellious. She likes to fight. She likes action. She likes excitement. And now suddenly we're supposed to believe that she doesn't want those things. She doesn't want those things, especially it, since in the last season, because remember, she could have left Starfleet. And someone who doesn't want those things doesn't act reckless with their own life. Yeah. If they want to explore, why would they get in a shuttle and act reckless? Reckless. Now I can also look at the psychology behind it. And I know we're getting really silly here because this is a cartoon, but the reason why I will allow it, Dave, is because this is canon. If this was just some rando Star Trek cartoon that had no relevance or bearing to the ever expanding mythos of Star Trek, then I would probably shrug and eh, eh, fuck it, whatever. But this is canon. These are yeah. characters that will define the, in some way, the greater mythos of Star Trek. This mm -hmm. is a TV series that is canon. So because of that, I'm going to hold these writers just as accountable as I would the Discovery writers, the Picard writers, the Strange New Worlds writers. And I have a big problem with what they did with Mariner in this episode. It just doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. And especially since I agree with you, because like, yes, we are watching a cartoon, a, a cartoon that was tailored to be a comedy, right? However, the writing, the writing room of this show has done such an amazing job on all these characters to make them so dynamic that basically I can I've made the I've made the statement to a lot of friends this season. Lower decks with what they've done with their characters is probably some of the best work we've seen in all of Star Trek since the reboot. Because like we're getting all these characters that have like all these interesting dynamic relatable tropes and personalities that make them different from everybody else to the point that 
we now accept them as kind of like, just like we said, they are canon. They're the ones that actually look at the fucking crossover we just had with Strange New Worlds, exactly. bringing them into live action, bringing them into live action. And it was like that in itself is a testament to that writing room. And yeah, for us to all of a sudden come into an episode and suddenly be introduced to this brand new trauma that that uh, Mariner has, it's kind of like, okay. We can we can accept it. It's a pill that we are able to swallow, but the way it's been handled and I wish it would have been kind of eased more into their season to actually let us actually fully grasp, okay, this is the story of Mariner for the entire season. Instead of like it would have been here's a little the Mariner easier. story. Yeah. It, <laughs> yes. It would have been easier to swallow because we didn't see any of this until this episode. Yeah. They made it out to be like, this is something she's been going through all, all season. season. Like we've never, we've never seen her act in an existential manner. Yes. We have seen her upset with certain, we've always assumed that she just is immature and yes. that she does. And she's rebellious. She doesn't like to be told what to do. Um, she doesn't like change. Doesn't like change. She doesn't like responsibility. That. That's all Mariner stuff and that all works. But this new thing, oh, the self-sabotage from early in the season, that actually works in a that lot works. of ways because we know that she doesn't want responsibility. She just wants to be an ensign. And they even tied that element at the, I believe when she was trapped with a Klingon in the cave, they even brought that part back that she just wants to be an ensign. She doesn't, she's tried to get herself demoted. That all works. But this issue she has with exploration versus Starfleet's unwillingness at times to get involved in violence. Suddenly it becomes an issue. She has a problem with the death of a friend that happened how many years ago? How many years ago? Yeah. And we didn't know about it. It just seems, it seems like they didn't know what to do with Mariner. So let's quickly introduce something new and tie it in. And I don't think it, it worked too well. No, the only thing that really saved it was I thought that the, the quality of what they wrote for the story was good. Like I enjoyed the dialogue of like, it, it was, it was cheesy, but it had substance behind it between her and that Klingon uh, yeah. commander. Yeah. Cause that was actually really cool. I expected a Klingon to talk the way he does. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a problem with the episode in itself. The episode was written just fine. The writer of the episode did a pretty good job with it. So the episode in itself is just fine. It's this actually comes down to show running yes, issues. Exactly. So the problem I have is with the showrunner, Mike McMahon, mm -hmm. by allowing this to happen with Mariner, the writer of the episode did just fine. He took whatever they had written on that whiteboard and he made it work. And in doing so, we also were given a reveal as to who this big bad actually is. And I, it is I didn't even think this character would ever who, who come would, back. Who would? <laughs> it's the most irrelevant character ever in Star Trek. But dude, amazingly, when I when I when they did the reveal, I went back and watched the original episode, the TNG episode. The original TNG episode, when you watch it, it really does feel kind of like, you know what? This is the type of episode that would belong in lower decks. Where it's like these these ensigns, the Nova Squad, and 
you know, I, they just seem very douchey to me. I never liked that episode because I didn't like Wesley, uh, the stuff he did and how he was willing to well, it, hide it, the death of a fellow Nova squadman. Let's get into who this character is, yes. David, because we're just jumping all over the place. So the episode revealed that it's someone we haven't seen in a long time, and it was Nick Lucarno. Lucarno. Yep. Who was actually played by Robert Duncan McNeil, who, if you don't know who that is, that's Tom Paris. Tom Paris. In Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> that's what I thought was so awesome because we're going, oh, they couldn't bring back Tom. It seems weird <laughs> when you look at their stories because you look at how Tom Paris's story started in Star Trek Voyager. Yes. And you see Nick Larcano's story, or you observe his story, and you watch how it unfolds and how it ends. Tom Paris could have been Larcano. Well, here's the funny part. Bit of Star Trek lore for deep dive lore for all the Star Trek fans out there. Nick Lucarno was supposed to be Tom Paris. So, oh, so he was, he was, okay. That was the whole point though. All of the Voyager writers all wanted to bring back that character. Okay. And I think I heard something about that. Do you actually have details on that or this is just old? Uh, no, I actually, I actually verified this when I went through my notes. Okay. Because there are similarities to their character. Oh yeah. And, And it's an ongoing joke too, about how like Lucarno, uh, looks very much like Tom Paris mm-hmm. because like even in uh, I actually saw on the uh, wiki dot just actually when I did my research on this, they actually do a reference to him in a Star Trek novel that Tom Paris gets um, gets misidentified as Nick Lucarno. And then Tom basically says, oh, I get that a lot. And then, uh, but like, hold on, David. So go back. You're getting, we're all over the place. Back up just a bit. So at one point when they were casting for Star Trek Voyager, instead of the character that would end up being Tom Paris, it was supposed to be Larcano. It was supposed to be Larcano. Okay. Because that they were going to bring that actor back to portray that character. But for some strange reason, I'm going to have to look this up just to verify because sometimes you make up things. Oh, no, no, no. I actually actually did. I just couldn't find the reason why they didn't go with the Lucarno thing because no one could really give a straight answer why. (laughs) There is an answer. I just don't remember why. But like the that was the one thing that I thought was really interesting is like when you take a step back and as a Voyager fan, actually look at the bio of Nick Lucarno and look at Tom, Tom Paris. They're pretty much identical, especially with how like, you know, Tom's supposed to be like this grandiose pilot. And yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And the fact that that Larcano was pushed out of Starfleet, Tom Paris was pushed out of Starfleet. Yeah, (laughs) there are a lot of similarities. It makes perfect sense. You know what I'll do is I'll look up some things and have it ready for the next episode. Yeah. Because especially since like Lucarno doesn't make an appearance at the very, very end. Yeah. So Nick Lucarno is the big bad of the season. He's the baddie that has been flying around in the ship, kidnapping other alien species and apparently dropping them on the planet. (laughs) Sherball five. Sherball five. And you find out by listening to all these aliens talking to each other that 
there was basically mutiny on board their ship. So some crew were taken, like the leaders, it seems like. The captains and the first officers were dropped on the planet, and then certain mutinous crew were taken somewhere else with the ship. Like, it was actually done behind their backs working with Nick Larcano, which I'm sure the finale itself will flesh that idea out further. So we got answers to that. I did chuckle a little bit when when we found out that it was Nick Larcano. <laughs> out of all the names, because you got to remember, I mean, like for this entire season, Mike, we've been trying to figure out who in the world could they possibly pull from Star Trek's mythos to be the big bad? Because we were throwing around the fact that, oh, it has to be another AI. Nope, wasn't it AI. They wrapped that up in the AI episode. Then we were like going, well, maybe it's another, it's a, new alien species we haven't seen maybe since like the animated series or something. Nope. Wasn't that it was a sole character that only made an appearance in one particular episode in TNG. And yeah, it was a, it was a heavy episode, but later on gets retconned into a different character. Okay. So according to Star Trek wiki, Nick Larcano was a character played by Robert Duncan McNeil the Star Trek Next Generation episode titled The First Duty. That's the episode where yes. he and a group called Nova Squad that actually included Wesley Crusher performed an illegal maneuver, flight maneuver. And when they did it, one of their members was killed. And that episode, The First Duty, was essentially the Nova Squad put on trial for their part that for the part they played in the death of this other cadet. Wesley Crusher was yet again, a disappointment to Picard in the episode <laughs> yet again. because he, I believe he towed the, the Nova squad line and yes. lied. Yeah. Because until of- the end, I believe eventually he told the truth. I don't remember. It's been a very long time since I've watched that episode. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of the episodes with Wesley, I just, I just kind of ignored. I didn't really like a lot of them. That's honestly one of the better ones, though, because it has the really cool moment when Picard confronts Nova Squad and tells them that they have a duty, not just to Starfleet, but to also the different. And I it like, was one of the better speeches of Picard. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I just hate. There's something about those episodes where someone disappoints Picard. It always gets under my skin because Picard is, as we know, I mean, much of season two of Star Trek Picard was built on this idea that Picard has intimacy issues with people. And when he does take you under his wing, that's a big thing for him. And when you betray that trust. Oh, it's bad. You feel bad for the character for Picard. And Wesley Crusher did that to him a couple times. (laughs) Yeah, more than once. So that's part of the reason why I I've never really gravitated to that episode because I just rolled my eyes and got angry. But the character was expelled from Starfleet Academy for his involvement, Nick Lacarno, in a fatal accident during a training exercise. So here's the answer we were looking for. The producers of Star Trek Voyager created a similar character named Tom Paris, but they did not use the character of Nick Larcano because they felt that his actions made him irredeemable. Interesting. I would disagree with that, especially since Tom Paris was a fucking terrorist. (laughs) You killed a fellow Starfleet officer. You're a terrorist. You're okay. (laughs) okay. 
seems a little, that logic seems a little shaky at best. <laughs> it kind of does, doesn't it? When you take a step a back, douchey, arrogant cadet, if you will. Yes. Accidentally, not intentionally, because of his ego and hubris, gets someone killed. Someone who actively joins a terrorist group <laughs> and murders people. Murders people. That's redeemable. <laughs> I don't agree with that. I don't whatsoever. agree with that, but okay. Yeah. So th- that was pretty much the gist of the episode. It was a lot of setting things up for the finale. It actually did what a penultimate episode should do. Yeah. And dude, that's, that's the amazing thing that Lordex has done this season is they have given us episodes that are solid. You know, there's nothing, you know, it's, I don't know if it's just because I've watched so much TV the last and, you know, uh, mini series or anything or streaming series the last like four or five years now, but it's almost really nice to see a show formatted properly <laughs> where it's like, okay, the quality of the, the quality of work is good because they're doing their, they're doing the series justice. You know, they're doing their work properly. They're not taking any unnecessary gambles with their writing. And don't you think they might need some necessary gambles? The problem, the problem that I find, because a lot of people have said that they have to take gambles and I'm like going, but here's the thing. You take gambles and majority of the time when you take gambles with your writing, it's going to flop. No, that's not true. You, okay, what's your definition of gambles? Like, what are you saying? Maybe you and I are thinking two different things. I, th- I think so too. But like when it comes to gambling with your writing, say for example, like what they did, and this is an extreme example, what they did in Picard. Mm-hmm. Shabon didn't have any idea how to show run. That was a gamble he, right there. <laughs> well, it was a gamble, but it was a writer that did not know what the proper format was, right? So he's going to write uh-huh. What he feels is the way he should, which is as a novelist. And when you look at how that series was formatted, it was all over the goddamn place, all over the goddamn place. So what was the gamble then? The gamble was actually trying to break the TV, the way a, a TV show is formatted, Okay, you know, uh, right. story-wise. Okay. So in that regard, yes, I agree. You don't take a gamble on changing writing and throwing in a showrunner that doesn't know how to show run. Yeah. Who doesn't have any experience in television. I'm thinking something differently. I'm think I'm thinking something more like, um, like taking risk with your writing. You have to push the envelope. Otherwise what we're going to do is we're going to have another five seasons or another four seasons of Star Trek lower decks where all they do is simply play in the same sandbox over and over and over throw in some character, or I should say Star Trek tropes, bring in some cameos. And essentially what we're getting is just the same thing on repeat. This season, though, it's not over yet. We still have one more episode, but, and I'll probably talk about this a bit more in our next discussion. If Lower Decks wants to last longer than five seasons, they have to do something different. Because I am losing interest in this show. Because it's almost the same thing over and over and over, except they throw in some new cameos, some more remember me's, remember berries, some nostalgia, but the Boimler stuff, 
the Mariner stuff is starting to feel a little stale. Yes. And if they hope for this show to last longer than just five seasons, they're going to have to push the envelope. They're going to have to rediscover their own identity because what happened, this show started off having its own identity and it kind of just became a remember this show. And I would forgive that if what I thought they were doing with the characters was different and they were really bringing new facets and layers to these characters that made sense, I would continue to be on board this show. But if we're getting very small, minute, if you will, character moments that are new, I just, I don't find that very appealing. I don't care to watch a show that's just a bunch of nostalgia. I'll just go watch repeats of Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager. In fact, that's what I do every night. I watch at least one or two episodes of whatever series I'm in the mood for. I don't think we need a cartoon rehashing and that's all it does. Yeah. And I agree with you. I feel that I feel that this particular season, Lower Decks is at a crossroads. And it's a very familiar crossroads, especially for Mike McMahon, because it feels to me as a fan of his, like how Rick and Morty went. Rick and Morty, like he was all guns a blazing for the first couple seasons. And then it hit a plateau. And it was kind of like, kind of like what you said is like, if what else can you do with these characters? You know, what, what, something new, something, because the, the story of Rick and Morty started to get stale Mm -hmm. and here I see a very, very similar trope where it's like the story of Mariner and Boimler while I'm enjoying it. I love the two characters. I think these are two of my favorite characters in Star Trek currently. Oh my God. Really? Well, they're not the favorites. They're one of my favorites. They're not that interesting, David. Let's just be perfectly honest. Let's not be Star Trek fanboys. Mariner and Boimler aren't that interesting. But they I, really aren't, David. It, uh, David, be honest. You may like that it's a cartoon and it's funny and it's an easy watch. But is it that is it really that great? Are you really thinking this is some of the best Star Trek ever? No, 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 no. Not not, not like that. But when it comes to characters, I'm happy that these characters are you know, not the tried and true. Let's bring, let's bring in all the cla- uh, classics. Keep on bringing them back again and again. When it comes to but like, they the, kind of are the kind of, mm. yes, Mariner and Boimler and Tendi and Rutherford are newer characters, but they're relying on 50 plus years of Star Trek canon to keep the show so-called fresh. That I will agree with. This season, that's what it now has come down to when it comes to the crossroads where it's kind of like, okay, these characters are just writing on, uh, writing on tropes from prior characters, from more legacy characters. Yeah, we get that Mike McMahon knows Star Trek. We get it. We can tell by how he writes and he pulls things out of his ass from the Star Trek trove that we haven't, you know, things that we would never have expected to ever see again in Star Trek. Great. He's flexing his Star Trek knowledge. That's fantastic. But I would be far more interested in this series if it relied more on originality. Still bring in those comedic moments, still have your cameos, but 
Locarno being the villain, who gives a fuck? <laughs> Why didn't you just make up a new cool character? Character, yeah. That, uh, honestly, that's how I kind of felt when that when that reveal happened. It's kind of like, couldn't you just make a new character? Just make it. I mean, Picard season three did it. And it worked okay. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's a good example. Star Trek Picard season three did a lot of new, fresh things while also respecting the past and even using the past using as a framework. Past. Yeah. But when it was all said and done, it was all new. It was all fresh. The problems might've been similar, but it was new facets of Concepts. Picard's problems. Yes. You introduce this aspect of legacy, which has always been at some point on a low simmer when it comes to Picard's characterization and his development. And you bring it to a head in its third season. That's how you do it. Yes. You know, bringing the Borg queen in seemed like it made perfect sense because of what they were doing with it. They took an old face and they shined it up and made it new, relevant, and interesting. I know we're comparing apples to oranges here, David, or some may say, and I might even say that as well, like I just did. But my, my, my point is, <laughs> my point that I'm trying to make, David, is yes, one is a satirical cartoon and the other is a more serious character driven drama series but they're both still star trek and lower decks has the luxury of essentially going under the radar no one's really paying attention to them over at yeah. paramount so there's a lot more they can actually do but they keep going back to the well to the well mm-hmm and knowing that Mike Mann and these writers can write, I'm not going back on anything I've said this season. They are good writers. I would like to see them put their talent to the test. And that's where you basically say, come up with something different, challenge. This goes or, right, it goes um, right back to what you start, the conversation that you started when, it, when, it, uh, when you mentioned gambling. This is my version of a gamble, or I should say pushing the envelope working harder to do something different. I don't think they're doing it. I think they found comfort in yes. their success. Oh, absolutely. That's what, and uh, that's, I a hundred percent agree with you about if there is one thing, um, I would absolutely feel was a negative for the season. For me was the fact that it, this season felt like the writers just got comfortable. Like, this is a run-of-mill season. We'll just run right through it, get to the end, and collect a check, yeah. essentially. Yeah. I will say my favorite part of the episode was when Freeman started shaking that alien puppet. I mean, that... <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. I thought that... The jokes like that are genius. I have no problem with callbacks like that. They're not really relevant to the story. They're just fun moments. Now, when you're making things from the past entirely re relevant and it's actually plot motivation and myth arc motivation, then I have a problem because they're not really doing their own thing. Yeah. But things like that, fine. We can do those things all day long. 
Oh yeah. And that's the thing. That's been the strength of lower decks for the writing, uh, writing, the writing room for the past couple seasons. Yeah. They know how to do that. They know how to skirt that line away from basically, Oh, look, the 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 member berry trope of all writers yeah and they they've had this really great knack of actually skirting that line and dancing across that <laughs> dancing across that uh that tight or uh the the tight rope mm-hmm. and it's it's so tough for me because this entire season that we've covered up till this up to this point the penultimate episode I've always had this weird nagging feeling that I'm having fun this season and I like the quality that they're going. But now that we me and you have talked about it, I'm starting to actually think of like, okay, this has been my problem. It probably, it, and it is slowly tying to the fact that they're not taking a gamble. They're not bringing it there. When you take a step back and truly see what Lordex is capable of, are they giving us something different? Not really. They're giving us something entertaining. And yeah, entertainment is really important. But in order for us to really cover this and actually hold it up into the standards of true Star Trek, you know, television, Lower Decks cannot plateau. They can't. They have to push that bar. They got to. I think they already have. And that's the problem. I think that has been an issue. Probably not with the writers because the writers have been giving us good quality. It's the problem with the showrunner because I don't think Mike McMahon wants to gamble when he gets comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dave. So let's close out the show. I'm going to give this episode an 84%. What about you? My, my score is close to yours. It's an 85. I actually, as I said, I did really enjoy this episode, but it's that nagging feeling that's been kind of like following me since <laughs> since the beginning of the season. It just feels for, tired. It's tired. Yeah. Yeah. They got to do something else. So 94% for you, Dave? Uh, 95. 95. All right. That ends our discussion. We'll see everyone next time. All right. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.